don't know about you, but Sundays are my happy time. I love being with you. Uh, as soon as I step on campus and start seeing your faces, I'm just filled with um, joy. Love you guys. Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to speak to us today through his word. Oh, Lord, our God, you've chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your word, your son, and your spirit. Now, reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us, and teach us today how to love as Jesus loves. To welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the poor. To bear good news, build bridges, and bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're continuing our series called Prophets, Priests, and Healers. We are followers of Jesus. And we follow him not because he was a good man or a great teacher. We follow Jesus because he is the son of the living God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And the author of Hebrews wrote that Christ is the Son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In other words, Jesus is God. He is Lord. He is the ultimate source of all life and and meaning. Jesus is our joy. He is our peace. And we are made for God, and it is through Christ that we are set free from the penalty and the power of sin. We are invited into God's family. Now, Jesus was many things. He was a prophet. He was a priest. Uh, He was a healer. He was a, a prophet. He was the mouthpiece of God. He was a priest, a a bridge between God and people, a shepherd. And he was a healer, one through whom the power of God flowed to heal the sick and even raise the dead. And, And Jesus says very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. So this series has been an invitation for um, all of us to continue the ministry of Jesus, to be prophets and priests and healers in a very broken and hurting world. Um, And lately, it seems like every time that we turn on the news, we are reminded that the world desperately needs the church to be the church. It needs what we have. The world needs hope. It needs help. A little over a week ago, um, Hurricane Harvey pounded the Texas coast with catastrophic results. Um, It's the worst disaster in the state's history. So far, 50 lives have been lost. Um, 30,000 people have been displaced. 400,000 homes and businesses have been damaged or destroyed. And there are still over 1,000 people unaccounted for, and it's estimated that the economic losses are going to be somewhere between 70 to 190 billion dollars 
I've been in um, regular contact with Jeffrey Johnson, who is the district superintendent for the South Texas District of the Nazarene. And this is what he wrote uh, in a letter. He said, I'm typing this email from my home where the water has risen to the point that I have not been able to leave my house. He was actually stuck in his home for five days. I have waited, talked, and prayed with my neighbors that the waters will recede and the Lord will give us his peace. At least 12 of our churches were flooded or damaged. We still haven't been able to get into all the churches to see the needs. Many of our brothers and sisters have flooded homes. Nazarene Disaster Response has been quick to offer help. They are sending a project coordinator into San Antonio to assess needs on the district. And he will start with Portland and other areas hit by the initial hurricane force. Many of our own South Texas Nazarenes have offered help and shelter. If you know of anyone who has been forced to evacuate and needs a place to go, please inform me. We will get you in touch with those who can help. By the way, this is a, a boat storage place. I mean, look at, the, look at that damage. Um, he continues, I have received dozens of messages of encouragement and offers to help from Nazarenes around the country. Please keep praying and trusting uh, in the Lord and know that we will try to get more information out when it will be helpful and you can do more than pray. Okay, so that's his letter, Jeffrey Johnson, District Superintendent, South Texas. And while we have been reeling from Hurricane Harvey, um, heavy monsoon rains have been just, just devastated areas in uh, South Asia, including Bangladesh and India and Nepal. More than 1,200 people have died in those floods, including a lot of children. There are 40 million people that have been affected by those monsoons. That's more than the, state, the population of the state of California. Um, there are 18,000 18,000 school buildings that have been damaged or destroyed, and that means more than 2 million kids can't go to school right now. Um, One-third, a full third of Bangladesh has been flooded. Hurricane Harvey damaged 12 churches in South Texas. The monsoons in South Asia have impacted 948 Nazarene churches in Bangladesh alone. We have about 3,000 Nazarene churches in Bangladesh, so like a third of them have been affected by the monsoons. Now, the church is the body of Christ. And Jesus established his church to be his hands and feet in the world, but so we are actually supposed to be God's first responders whenever tragedy strikes. Sometimes we spend so much energy um, talking and, and not enough energy doing. It's like the church is just like this big mouth. Um, but we also have eyes to see and we have ears to listen. And we have hearts to feel and we have hands to help. We are a body. And the gospel we know is not about going to heaven when we die. It's about experiencing heaven before we die. The gospel is not just for tomorrow, it's for today. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is near. That means we have work to do right here, right now. And so right now, in, in the midst of devastation and loss, 
How do we communicate and embody this gospel that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is near, that he has sent help, that that his kingdom is coming soon? How do we embody this gospel? In other words, what work would Jesus be doing right now? Because we are supposed to do the works that Jesus did, right? So how do we do that? What is that work right now? How do we do that work? Well, I want to, um, for us to reflect today on the story of Bartimaeus uh, and his encounter with Jesus in Mark 10, uh, verse 46. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can, or I'll tell you the story. Mark 10, 46, the story of Bartimaeus. And as we listen to this story, I want you to listen with three questions in mind. Number one, as we read this story, what do we learn about Jesus' character? Because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, right? So, so whatever, what we're really asking is, what do we learn about the heart of God as we look at Jesus? Okay. Secondly, what is the work that Jesus is doing here? And thirdly, if we are to do the work that Jesus did, then how do we follow his example? Okay. So who is Jesus and what was he doing and how can we follow in his example? So we start reading here in Mark 10, 46. Then Jesus and the disciples came to Jericho, and as they, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, Have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And so they called to the blind man, Cheer up! On your feet! He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up to his feet, and came to Jesus. He's blind, remember. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So what do we see here? In this story, Jesus is on his way to the city of Jericho with this huge entourage, like hundreds, maybe thousands of people following him around. And Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He calls him son of David, a recognition of who Jesus was, descendant of David, the Messiah, is what he's saying And everyone rebukes him and says, shut up. Don't bother the master. Don't bother the rabbi. Don't bother the Lord. Why? I mean, Jesus had stopped many times for people. Why are they telling him to to be quiet? (laughs) Leave him alone. Because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem now, where he's going to make his, his grand entrance where he, riding on the back of a donkey, the way that kings would, would enter a city when they came in peace. And there's these crowds of thousands of people 
that, that, that are with him. And, and soon they're going to be waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, blessed, be, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is riding to his own death. But they didn't know that. But this was Jesus' big moment, right? And then here's this blind beggar spoiling everything. And so he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus do? He stops. He stops. And then he says, call him. And so they say, Hey, cheer up. He, he wants to see you on your feet. Come on, he's calling you. And then Jesus asks him a question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? In other words, he stops and then he engages. He engages with the person in need. He says, and the, and the beggar says, Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, I want to see. Very practical, right to the point. He's not like, uh, can you tell me the way to heaven? Can, can you tell me how to inherit eternal life? He says, I, I just want to see. Very practical, very to the point. The, the, the thing that had, that had plagued him for, for years, and he believes that Jesus can give him what he needs the most. He can restore him. He just says, Rabbi, I want to see. And then what happens Jesus responds by healing him, saying, go, your faith has healed you. And what happens? He gets up and he starts following Jesus. So what do we see about the heart of God and how Jesus interacted with people? And what is the example that we are to follow here? Jesus stops. He stops what he's doing. He engages and he responds. What does that mean for we? If we are to do the works that Jesus did, if we are his ambassadors, then we also must be people who stop when people are in need. Imagine, imagine you hear the Spirit of God saying to you as, as you go about your business, and we're all very busy, but you're going about your business and you 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 are aware of a need and you hear the Spirit say, stop. And it's as if that person is saying, Albert, disciple of Jesus, have mercy on me. And it becomes a personal call. Albert, disciple of Jesus, have mercy on me. And I hear that in my spirit. And I stop. And what if we just started there? <laughs> We just started following Jesus' example here that when tragedy strikes, when people are in need, we stop. We stop. And then after that, what if the next thing we did was we started engaging with people and saying, well, what is it that you want me to do for you? Rather than assuming that we know what people need, why don't we just ask them? What is it that, that, that we can do for you? What is it that I can do for you? A lot of times we are so eager to help that, we, that we, we take away people's dignity by not asking them what they need. And we just, we just give them stuff, right? There is something known in um, disaster relief circles known as the second disaster. 
And the second disaster is that every time these things happen, people seem to donate tons and tons and tons of used clothing. And it's incredibly unhelpful. Because then the volunteers have to figure out how to sort and how to store. And that's not what people generally need at those times. Unless they ask for it. And so it just, every time, it seems like they have to put out a notice and say, please don't send us used clothing. Because they have these mountains of of clothing they don't know what to do. It actually hinders things. So we are people who stop and then we engage people in conversation. And then once we understand what, what the needs are, then we respond. We act. We actually meet those needs. We, we pray, yes. But then we, we seek to be the answer to those prayers by offering tangible help. Sometimes we debate too long when there's a need, and, and we form a committee, and then we get bogged down in details. And, and meanwhile, it's a month later, and we still haven't done anything. We're still talking about it. And people say, you know what? Don't bother. It's okay. I, I, I took care of it. Um. Patrick Lencioni wrote a book called The Ideal Team Player, where he says that the ideal team player, and by the way, we are a team, the ideal team player is fast, fluid, and flexible. And I believe that that's how we need to interact with with the world. Sometimes the church is just this big institution that's way too slow to move and to help people. Fast, fluid, and flexible. Um, And that's important because, uh, as many of you may have known, uh, in South Texas, um, one of the largest churches in the country is Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen's church in Houston. And uh, they have 52,000 people that come to their church on the weekends. They meet in the 16,800-seat compact center. It's, like, huge. And he was criticized because their church did not open their doors quickly enough for people to come in, uh, you know, as a relief shelter. And I don't know all the you know, reasons why I'm not trying to judge judge him, but I am saying that from the outside world looking in, it sure didn't look very compassionate. And he was heavily criticized. Uh, their church was heavily criticized for that. And, and so sometimes we, we just need to respond something the same day, within hours. And, and we're trying at, at Trinity to be more responsive in how we uh, engage with the world. Proverbs uh, 3, 27, 28 has some instruction for us. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to act, do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. And, and as I shared earlier, I'm, I feel that the Lord has given Christine and I more resources than we need in one day, you know? And that's probably true for most of us. And so we have in our hands today the resources to be able to meet the needs of today. We don't need to wait until tomorrow. We can act today. And so I would encourage us to be responsive. Ezekiel explains why God punished Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, this was the sin of Sodom, the city of Sodom, They were arrogant and overfed and unconcerned. And they did not help the poor and needy. I've shared with you before, every time I read this, I think of the Western church. That that we, this is the reputation that we often have. That we are arrogant, overfed, and we're unconcerned. And we're simply not responsive to the needs of around us. 
Because it, it shouldn't take a crisis. It, it shouldn't take a crisis for the church to respond, to mobilize, to act. Well, I mean, what constitutes an emergency that's, that's worthy of our attention? Does the world have to like be on fire for the church to act? Now, we can't respond to every need. But what if we, even though we are busy and we have a lot to do, could hear the voices in our communities that are saying, Christians, disciples of Jesus, have mercy on us. We need help. We need healing. We need hope. Disciple of Jesus, have mercy on me. Eileen, disciple of Jesus, have mercy on me. David, disciple of Jesus, have mercy on me. Do you feel, do you hear the call of our community to you personally? And what if we were so in tune with the Holy Spirit that we would hear their cries, we would stop, we would engage, and we would respond? It should not take a hurricane for the people of God to stop and engage and respond, to come together as a nation, to roll up our sleeves and get to work rebuilding our communities. There's devastation right here. Not necessarily caused by a hurricane, but by other factors, right? It shouldn't take Nazis in our streets for us to stop and engage and respond before we start talking about systemic Uh, racism and racial reconciliation. It shouldn't take that to activate the church. When families in our community are being torn apart by marital conflict and abuse and divorce, will we stop and engage and respond? When we encounter the homeless, will we stop? Will we engage? We respond. When people are struggling with different forms of addiction, do we stop? Do we engage? Do we respond? When our young people are questioning their value and wondering if life is worth living, will we stop? And will we engage? Will we respond? Are we paying attention? Are we listening? Are we ready to respond? And some of us are, are not. We're, we're not paying attention. And we're not willing to stop and engage and respond. And it shouldn't take a crisis. Because this is what Christians do. We help. Whether it's one person or a thousand people, because every person matters to God, and when we stop and engage and respond to people in need, we are doing the work that Jesus did, and we look like him. That's what holiness looks like. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? To love people as he loved us. Carry each other's burdens. Whose burdens are you carrying right now? Who are you walking with? Who are you praying for? Who are you offering practical assistance to? Who are you visiting and sitting with? Who are you investing your finances in, helping out? How are you carrying someone else's burden right now? When you do that, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. 
the only law that matters. Mr. Rogers um, (laughs) used to say, uh, he said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would always say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And what I liked about Mr. Rogers, and we don't see this very much anymore, was that he tried to communicate the children that, hey, the world is not as dangerous as you think. There are people who are, are the helpers. Look for them. Who are the helpers? And it's a very different way of looking at the world than we do now. Did you know that in Japan, uh, there's a big difference between Japanese culture and an American culture. In Japan, children are still taught now that when they are in trouble, they can look to adults to help. But here we teach our kids to fear strangers. Don't answer the door. Don't talk to that person. Don't tell them your name. Right? And the media plays a big role in this culture of fear that we have. Now, I'm not saying that we should just send our kids off with anybody. I understand. I get it. I'm a parent. I got four kids. Christine and I freak out, you know, and we don't know where the kids are. Um, but what are we teaching our children? What kind of culture are we creating? Can, can we begin to build a world that, that is a little kinder and more compassionate? Or we can trust again. I love that our volunteer t-shirts say, I can help. I can help. I mean, this should be emblazoned on our hearts. Maybe we should just skip the shirts and tattoo it on our chests. We are the body of Christ. We can help. We are God's first responders. Is that part of your identity? I can help. When there's a need, are you the first to read? I can help. I can help. I can help. I can help. Well, let's talk about how we are helping. I want to talk about a little bit about our, our family, our tribe, the Church of the Nazarene. What, what are we doing right now uh, in response to what, what happened in uh, Texas? Well, first of all, I want you to know that um, Church of the Nazarene leaders, this is Bob Broadbrooks. He is our director of the, for the USA-Canada region, um, and I'm going to show you a short video. Um, but uh, the Church of the Nazarene leaders are on the ground in Texas right now. They're assessing needs as volunteers from across the country are beginning to mobilize to assist people. Um, and Nazarene Compassionate Ministries via Nazarene Disaster Response, we've already sent hundreds and hundreds of crisis care kits. Thank you. Many of you know what those are. You've, you've put them together before. Well, this is why we have them, crisis care kits. Um, have been sent to Houston. And so I want you to hear from Bob Broadbrooks. If you could flip the lights back there. My name is Bob Broadbrooks, and I'm the regional director for the Church of the Nazarene in the United States and Canada. Today I'm touring the devastation in South Texas. I know you've been hearing about it, but I wanted you to actually see what's going on here because it's, it's moving. And the pain and the the struggle is very real. We have a number of our churches that have been damaged and parsonages and Nazarene homes. We want to help those people, but we don't just want to help Nazarenes because we're all brothers and sisters. So I'm just simply inviting you to pray about and think about how you might participate in this and take this, uh, this disaster as an opportunity to be a blessing. Go to the website of Nazarene Compassionate Ministries 
you'll find more information there as to how you may be involved. We invite you to pray about it and ask God how you could help. All right, so that's a little bit about uh, from our, um, uh, our global headquarters and, and uh, some of the responses that, that are, have been mobilized. I want to talk about what Trinity is doing. What are we doing? Um, well, I've been working with leaders from uh, both the Northwest Indiana District and South Texas District um, to look for opportunities to help. And we've settled on joining the efforts of serving um, Houston Southwest Church of the Nazarene in Richmond, Texas. It's, it's a little church, not, not a big church, small church, just outside Houston. It was not damaged, and it's become one of the many, many support centers uh, in the area. And uh, John Fong, our youth pastor, John, can you come on up here for a sec? Um, John's going to be leading a team of six people from our church to help uh, purchase and assemble um, mud buckets. And John, can you explain to us what a mud bucket is? And we have a microphone up here. Hi, everybody. Um, so yeah, a mud bucket, it just consists of everything that you see on the screen. Uh, I sent a breakdown to Albert yesterday. It's approximately $50, depending on tax and where we end up purchasing it. The plan when we go, we're leaving Friday. We're taking the red eye. We're, uh, we have a church meeting, and then we're heading right out after. And right when we get there, the first thing we're going to do is uh, we're going to rent a van, and then we're going to go to Walmart and Target, everywhere we possibly can, to start assembling these mud buckets. Um, right now, we're estimating that we have enough funds to purchase 55 mud buckets. So we're going to be going to minimal, minimum 55 homes. And along with the mud buckets, um, we're going to be helping the Southwest Church clean and start restoring the homes. And um, part of it is we are going to be helping uh, other, well, um, other brothers and sisters from Nazarene churches. But part of our goal is to actually share the gospel with non-believers. So we are going to be going and preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, living the gospel in front of them. And we are excited for them to ask us questions. Where are you from? We're from L.A. What are you doing here? We love you. That's what we're doing here. We want to, show, we want to just share that Christ is here with you, and he's going to use us to really help you, with, help, you and re, help you and restore your home. We're really excited because we get to take two of our youth. One is here, Ricardo. You could stand up. Richard, real quick. Give it up for Richard real quick. He's coming. Um, and another one's from Roland Heights Campus. And we are just pumped and excited to represent Trinity and most importantly, represent Jesus, Jesus in Houston. Um, I have another friend that works at a Methodist church out there, so we've been talking to him about how we could help too. But um, we need you to just pray for us and just, yeah, just continue to think of us as we're there and just, um, we represent you guys. So we're going to have pictures and we're going to share testimonies and all that good stuff. Um, one, one more thing. The reason... This even came up was um, because over the last two weeks I, in, my, in my family, we've been studying the book of Jonah. And uh, if you know a little bit about Jonah, the main point of it is not the fish or the well, depending on the kid's story that you're reading. Um, it's about the Lord's compassion over the people of Nineveh. And it also tells of um, Jonah's disobedience and his spirit of rebellion that lied within, within him. And I asked myself, how am, I, how am I, Jonah? How are, how, my wife, how are we, where do we have that spirit of disobedience and rebellion against what the Lord's convicting and calling us? And just like the story today, we are, we're choosing to respond and to engage because 
when I'm in when I'm in this story with Jonah, I'm like, man, God, you've been you've been telling me about Houston all week, convicting me during my QT. I'm just gonna look up a plane ticket right now. So we counted the cost. That's a big thing. I'm you know I'm Chinese, so I want to make sure it's a good investment. Is it better for us to go or for us just to send money? Um, we counted the cost and the amount of labor that we're gonna provide. It ends up being a little bit less than minimum wage for each person getting sent out, considering the man hours. So it's definitely worth the cost for the kind of help that we could provide to the people. And that's just the physical labor. That's not even the part where we get to share the good news with people. So uh, we've done our due diligence. Just wanted you to know, just in case you were thinking about it. And thank you. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Um, have a seat right there, John. We're, I'm gonna, we're going to pray over you in a minute. Um, so we've already, uh, the travel costs, as um, John said, are, are minimal. I think you got tickets for about 100 bucks a person. Yeah. It's crazy cheap. Um, so, uh, and you're going to provide about 180 hours, I think, of, of labor. That's a good deal. Um, we've already raised about $3,000 from private donations. Trinity's going to add another 500 to that from our, um, uh, our, our global impact fund. And we also want to give you an opportunity later on uh, to send our team with some more funds so they can buy uh, more materials, respond to any additional needs as they encounter them. Because people are going to need other things, too. They need things like diapers, baby food, uh, rubber boots, bedding, bottled water, um, gift cards to, to Walmart, Home Depot, that kind of stuff. So as they encounter those needs, we like to, them to have some extra funds to be able to respond um, to that. So, so Trinity has stopped, and we are engaging. I, we didn't just decide what we were going to do. We started contacting people on the ground there and say, what do you need? How can we help? We want a coordinated response, not just random you know, things that don't actually meet the needs of the community. Um, uh, so what, what can you do? Uh, you can go to um, ncm.org, ncm.org, Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. You're going to find instructions for three things, how to pray, um, and there's a, 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 a page where you can submit a prayer request or a note of encouragement, and that gets sent to the Nazarene churches there. You can also uh, give to the disaster response, or you can volunteer. They're starting to put up volunteer, uh, a volunteer registry. So you can put your name, contact information, and when they're ready to put a team together, they'll contact you and say, can you come on this date? Um, you can also uh, give through Trinity. We're going to uh, have a love offering at the end of the service where uh, you can purchase mud buckets or just give uh, finances to, to the team to be able to use when they're there. Uh, and just mark um, in, your, in the check, you can put Global Impact and anything that we receive today for Global Impact will go towards that response. You can also go online, uh, use the church app that we have, and you can just select Global Impact from there. So as we conclude, um, right now, in the midst of all this devastation and loss, how do we communicate and embody this good news that Jesus is Lord and that his kingdom is near? Well, this is one of the ways that we do it. We send people to actually bear that message um, and, and show by word and deed. That, uh, his king, that God is close, his kingdom is near. How do we live into our identity as prophets and priests and healers? The goal of this sermon today, of our message, our time here, was not to get you to buy a mud bucket. Okay, Although if that you do, wonderful, We're, we are asking you to do that. But that was not the point. The point is how we live as people that are responsive to the needs around us. That we are the first to stop and then engage and respond because I guarantee you that somebody, somebody connected to you, around you, 
is going through a crisis right now that is just as heartbreaking and scary as being forced out of your home by flooding. And you are God's first responder. And so we encourage you to stop. If you haven't stopped and you know this is going on, but you haven't stopped and engaged that person, do that and respond. And what is the fruit of our compassion? What happened when Jesus healed Bartimaeus? What did he do? He started following him. And in Matthew 5.14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Compassion and responsiveness has a direct impact on people's receptiveness to the gospel and following Jesus. And so we thank you for um, joining us in being prophets, priests, and healers. I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward and receive um, a love offering for John and the team. John, I'd like you to come up here and um, we'll, we'll pray over you uh, as a uh, proxy for the rest of your team. Um, and anyone who wants to come up, let's lay hands on, on uh, John. Oh, Sandy's going on the trip too, so come on up, Sandy. Okay, let's all pray out together for the team. Lord, we praise you that you have given us the inspiration, the motivation, and the means by which to provide a response to the needs of our brothers and sisters in Houston. And Lord, there are so many... There's more needs than we could ever possibly meet, but not more than your church can respond to around the world. If all three billion people who call themselves followers of Jesus, half the world's population, just started living like Christ, we'd be in heaven already. This would be heaven. And so, Lord, help us to not just wring our hands helplessly thinking, Lord, when are you going to do something? You have done something. You've created your church. And so, Lord, it's a privilege. And and as we were praying, these sirens just went by the church. I don't know who's in need. I don't know what's going on. but, But what a reminder, Lord, that that is happening all around us all the time. People are going through crises. And somebody has to respond to those things. And it's us, God. It's us. And thank you, God. We're just doing we're just doing small things, mud buckets, sharing the gospel, simple things like that, encouraging people, bringing diapers by, gift cards. But you take those little things, you take those loaves and fishes, and you multiply them, and people are satisfied. They are full. They are their needs are met, and they praise you, God. They don't say, "Where's the rest?" They praise you, God, and they they're satisfied. We can satisfy people because the Spirit of God lives in us and moves through us. There is much that we can do. We are not helpless. And so we thank you, God. As John and the team go out, Lord, we are with them. We're all part of this. It's not just six people going out doing some... It's, It's all of us. It's our family. And we all share in the joy and the blessing of being 
right in the center of your will. So use them, God. Open doors. Help them to, to reach the right people. Lord, pray for a smooth trip that all the stores will be stocked with supplies that they need to buy. They won't come up empty-handed or short, Lord, and that they'll always have enough. Every need. May every need that comes before them, Lord, may they have the ability to meet it. May they not have to turn anybody away and say, sorry, we ran out. We don't have anything. May they have enough for every need that comes before them, God. We thank you, God. And this is going to be a sustained response, not just this one trip, Lord, but, it, but Houston's going to need help in the, in the next weeks and months and years to come. And just as we have been there on the ground in Ensenada, may we be there on the ground in Houston, Lord, for we are the church. We are the greatest force for good in the world. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name.